0: Anyway, we continue into the book of Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews. It is a magnificent book. And uh, today is going to be called Time to Grow Up. And uh, what's interesting in the book of Hebrews, no one really knows who the author is. We know it's not Paul because of the writing style. The likelihood it's not not Paul. We, We kind of know it's not Peter because the writing style is different to that of Peter. In fact, there is no other book in the Bible that is written by the same person. But Tertullian, one of the early Christian um, fathers, said he used to call it the Epistle of Barnabas. Now, I like that idea. I like the idea that Barnabas, the great encourager, ...is the one who wrote Hebrews... ...especially when we look at the passage today... ...because it could be seen as slightly discouraging... ...but actually it is incredibly encouraging... ...I love the book of Hebrews... that is written to a Hebrew audience across the churches... ...many think maybe it's the church in Rome... ...but he's gone in and he's basically the main point is this... ...Jesus is above all... ...Jesus is above all... ...Jesus is greater than the angels... ...Jesus is greater than the prophets, Jesus is greater than Moses, Jesus is greater than the high priests. His whole message is, this is the greatest message of all. But as he's gone along, we'll see there have been hints that he has certain concerns about the church. And what I love about the book of Hebrews, and actually what I love about all the letters, is sometimes we can have a very romantic view of what the early church was like. We can have a romantic view saying, oh, everything was wonderful. It just was just go, go, go. Healing, healing, healing. Deliverance, deliverance. Oh, it was just amazing, amazing. Everyone was just alive and full of joy and praising God. Oh, it's extraordinary. And then you read the letters. And you realize, actually, they had problems. They had the same problems that we have. They, they lived with the same sort of issues that we live with. And so actually the writer is addressing these issues. And we can see that there's issues. So in Hebrews 2 verse 1, he says, Pay close attention to the message you've heard, lest you drift away. And Andrew Thomas that great sermon of, it's a a river, not a lake. In, In chapter 3 verse 1, he says, consider Jesus. In 3 verse 8, he says, don't harden your hearts like Israel did. In the wilderness. In 3 verse 12, he says, Take care, lest you have an evil heart of unbelief. In 4, one, he says, Fear, lest you fail to enter God's rest. In 4.11, he says, Be diligent to enter God's rest, lest you fall off by disobedience. And in 4.14, he says, Hold fast to your confessions. But the passage we come to today Is the one which those things that have been implied suddenly he comes right out and states it. So I'm going to start in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say, and it's really hard to explain since you. have become dull of hearing. For through by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is still a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, Let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washing the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment and this we will do if God permits. So this is called time to grow up and the only way to describe it is in my parents' house there used to be a measuring chart and it was a wall, you've all seen them, where all the grandchildren came in and as they came in there was a little line, the ruler would be put and it was always interesting watching the ruler be put and you could see them trying to lift it up and it was always put and they're measuring and they're dance. and you'd come and you'd look at all these measurements you'd be Judging, you know, well, Max, when he was about the same age as Evan, what height were they? And, and they're all there. And then we added a few funny ones. You know, I kind of would stretch like here and add a guy called Brett, who was a guy who used to come to our family, who was very, very tall. And then there's my brother in law, who's like way above everyone else, which is very funny because we've got lots of family photos, uh, which Mark is the only one who used to have a decent camera. And so he used to set up the photograph. and... And to be honest, the Davis family were all about the same height. And so all the boys of similar height, and Sue, and my mum, and then when all the, sort of Liz, and Rebecca and Evie came in, and we'd be kind of a nice set family. And Mark would set it up on his camera, and then he'd come and join the picture. We've got loads of family photos of all of us and a body.
1: Because he's always cut
0: off because he's so much taller than all of us. He's six foot seven or whatever it is. Ridiculous. And so, it's so funny, but you have this thing where you always go and you'd be checking measurements. Now, if you were doing that and suddenly you were thinking, well, Ebony is, is shrinking. He's not growing. It's getting smaller. If you actually went and realised, well, a year ago he was here and now he's here, you'd start asking questions. What's going on? And what you see here is the writer is aware of something going on in the church that seriously concerns him. He's concerned that people aren't growing. He's concerned that people aren't getting hold of the foundational truths and getting excited about it. And so we've seen, as we've gone through the letter, him saying, actually, there are certain things I'm concerned about. But he now comes to a point where he can hold back no more. He now comes to the point where he can't not express what he's feeling. And it comes here, he does verse 10 about to go on to the teaching of Melchizedek, which is very hard to understand. And it's like he, he writes verse 10 saying, I'm gonna, you know, gonna talk about being designated a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. It's like he then suddenly sort of takes a breath and you can hear him sigh. <sighs> do you know what you guys aren't going to understand this <laughs> you're not going to grasp this because you're hard of hearing you're not listening and you get almost this moment where he's about to start teaching this it's like him would describe it. it's like him saying I'm about to teach you Shakespeare and you're still reading A is for Apple <laughs> he says this is <laughs> you know, I'm about to teach you sort of, you know, the Ju- Romeo and Juliet and, and all of that. And, and you're still reading you know, Cowboy Baby. It's kind of like this, this kind of idea of you guys are on something so simple you haven't grasped. How can I teach you this if you haven't got hold of this? How can I teach these great truths of who Jesus is and how he's greater than any high priest has ever been? He's in the order of Melchizedek, which half of you who are Hebrews should understand, but you aren't even understanding this. He's, the frustration comes out. And it's the first time he expresses this, this problem. There's a dullness of hearing. It's like he's gone through so far saying, look, pay close attention, consider, don't harden your heart. Fear, be diligent, hold fast. He's saying, look, here are all the ways to get out of this. But now he's actually saying, do you know what, this is where you're at. And so I just want to take a little moment looking at the two words, dullness and hearing, and just get an idea of what is it that the author is so concerned about. The first word, dull, can also be translated as sluggish. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. And much to your amazement, it's in Hebrews. <laughs> he is, expresses it. So he expresses it here in these passages, and then it also expresses it in Hebrews 6, 11 to 12, where he says this We desire that each of you show the same diligence so as not to realize the, as to realise the full assurance of hope until the end. That you may not be sluggish. Same word there as dull is in our text. But imitators are those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. The opposite of dullness is diligence or earnestness to turn the message of hope into the assurance of hope. And what the writer's saying is, look, there's this great message of hope, but you're not getting it. You're not hearing it. You're not hearing this great truth of Jesus. What you realise as well is, Dull hearing doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them physically hearing. Their ears can hear. It means there's something wrong with their heart. They're hearing it, but it's having no impact. They're hearing it, but it's not being planted into them. It's the soil that we will see later that Jesus talks about. There isn't hearing it to have growth. The heart is not eager and diligent to embrace the promises and turn them into faith and patience. Instead, they hear the word, it goes in their ears down to the heart and bounces back out. <laughs> Has no impact. And so, he sort of saying, actually, if this does not change, you're not gonna receive the inheritance of eternal life. See, so if you don't receive this truth, if you don't let this truth come and change you and get hold of you, you're in great danger. This is a dangerous place to be, to hear, but not hear. And so that's almost one of the main reasons of the book being written. To encourage people, listen, 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 don't be dull. Listen. And then he goes on hearing. And again, it's used in Hebrews. In Hebrews 4, verse 2, it says, for indeed. We have good news preached to us, just as you also, but the word you heard, literally, the word of hearing, same word as in 5.11, the word of hearing did not profit them because it was not united to faith when they heard. So suddenly you have this very strong picture has done this. the heart is not responding to the message they're hearing about Jesus. And now it's actually saying, and you're not hearing with any faith. You're hearing, but you're not hearing it. It's not having any impact into you. It's not impacting your life. It's not impacting the way you think. It's not not impacting you. In fact, you could look at when Jesus does the the parable of the four soils and the, the, the parable of the sower. At the end, he says, Therefore take care how you hear. Or, in some translations, those of you who have ears to hear, hear! He's kind of saying, look, there's a great message here, hear it! And he's saying, whoever has, to him shall be given more. Whoever does not have, even that which has been given will be taken away. It's the same message as the writer here. hear. The only way to describe it is like when you fly, and you fly regularly. And then there's that moment where the plane begins, to taxi and then suddenly the air stewardesses come up and they suddenly say, please can we have your full attention now as we do a safety demonstration for you. At which point, no one listens. At which point you're looking thinking, where's my podcast, are my headphones connected? How do I do this? And you've got these people going, and then, and then, and you know, tying themselves up. And then you look up and kind of see it. Don't take any notice. The the only time I ever t- really took notice was one time I was flying from Gatwick to Manchester and it was on an easy jet and they were kind of joking and suddenly this the person doing the demonstration said, Now if you we were to land on water, please take the life jacket from underneath the chair. And then they said, But also have a serious question mark about where the pilot is taking you. <laughs> it's not like, you know, because why would you go? But on the whole none of us, none of us take seriously. We would if we were crashing, but actually, it kind of happens. It's like music in a lift. It's just there. Well, sometimes, you know, and it's always, this always blesses my wife, but I, you know, I sometimes at night if I can't sleep, I'll put a podcast on and mm-hmm. have it in my speaker in the pillow, which makes me mean that Liz can't hear it, but you can. And so I'm there lying on this thing, and it's just noise in the background. You're not really taking any notice of it. We've all had people, you know when you're talking to someone sometimes, and there's that look on their face and you realise, you haven't been listening to a word I've said. Hmm. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but if you're you know, ever around children, you all know that experience. Where you're saying something and then you've got that look of, what did I just say? Yeah, to be honest, I am... Um, <laughs> I. And if I describe what, what is this writer's doing, the author's doing, it's almost like saying to them, you should know better than this. Mm. Look, like you've got this wonderful heritage of being Hebrew. You should know better than this. And probably all of us have had those moments where you've got into trouble and someone else or some younger sibling or someone else is they get a well look. You know, okay, you shouldn't have done that, but then they look and say, but we expected better of you. I should have had that a lot in my life. I remember when I was a youth group leader in the church in Horsham. I had this great idea that we were gonna do a scavenger hunt at Gatwick Airport, and I included getting into a cockpit and meeting a pilot, right? And we did. It was fantastic. Before 9-11, security wasn't so good, but we went there inside, and we were there in the cockpit, and we got the signature, and it was brilliant and then we get back and then we're called in front of the elders and <laughs> some of the parents who complain, saying this possibly wasn't the most healthy thing or wasn't the best thing you know what if the plane had taken off of course the plane wasn't going to take off it wasn't be a stowaway that wasn't on the list but i remember sitting there and being told off, and then saying and we expected better of you i don't know why <laughs> i'd never prove any sense that i wouldn't do anything different and so but it was but it's, it, you have to it's almost like the young writers saying, guys I expected better of you. You're not listening, you're not hearing. It's like a film. And when you ever watch a film, they have different standings of people who are in the film. So you have the star. Let's think of a sort of, Hank. What's his name, Hank? Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, Hank, Tom Hanks, there we go, I was going to say Hank Williams, and I thought, no, he's the shadow's guitarist, he? he appears in the film, that's not one to watch, anyway, it's Tom Hanks, starring Tom Hanks, starring Tom Cruise, starring... <laughs> Someone else! Meg <laughs> Ryan! There we go. Cool, you can see the films I've been watching. <laughs> she doesn't even start though. No. And then, <laughs> then and featuring. And the and featuring is I got a really small part. And featuring Kenneth Williams. <laughs> I don't know. What came to mind? <laughs> Kenneth Williams. <laughs> or Anthony Davis. The way to describe it is it's like the author's writing saying your life is starring you. It's starring you, and then it also, and featuring Jesus. You've included Jesus into it, but you've not made him central to it. It's not, and that's not where Jesus can be. It's all about Jesus. And it's like, I remember when you was going to India, He would meet Hindus who'd come to Christ, and and their story was always this. When they first went to church and came home and said, I've gone to church and I've started meeting Jesus, the family would say, oh, that's nice. That's nice. We're happy to add Jesus into all the other gods we've got. Let's include Jesus. But the moment they said, and I'm going to get baptised, all hell broke loose. Why? Because they're basically saying, and I, he's the only one for me. Jesus is it now. I'm sold out for him. It's not and featuring Jesus. It is, and Jesus is it. And so what the writer's saying is, guys, you can't stay like this. You can't be living as if Jesus just features in your life. It's got to be that Jesus is your life. In verse 14... He writes this, solid food is for the mature but who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now ask yourself this question, if solid food is only palatable, digestible for the mature, with what food do you become mature? You become mature with milk. So the milk is not Pathetic. The milk helps you mature. The milk transforms you so that you can eat the solid meat that is to come. The milk tr- gets you ready so you can understand Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. You can understand Jesus sat at the right hand of the Father. You can understand Jesus and the kingdom that he brought. You can understand that we live in a great tension, that we know Jesus is sovereign and he's in charge, yet at present it doesn't feel like it. You can understand because you've got hold of the milk. And what it basically says in, in effect, this milk is to produce a new mind. The mind that can discern between good and evil. Because the practice of discerning between good and evil, the practice between your morality being changed by this milk, means you are being trained to eat the meat that is to come. How amazing is this? What verse 14 is saying is, if you want to become mature, understand this. The more solid teaching of the word, then the rich, nutritional, precious God of the milk of God's gospel promises must transform your moral senses, must transform your spiritual mind, so that you can discern between good and evil. Let's put it another way God wants to give you a feast. But first, there's a moral challenge, and it's this. For you to understand some of the great truths like Melchizedek, you need to watch, check what you're watching on TV. If you're going to understand some of the doctrines of election, you need to understand how you run your business and how you treat people. If you want to know the God-central work of Christ on the cross, then you need to love that and not money. You need to watch how you use your money. The pathway to maturity to solid biblical food is not about becoming an intellectual person because you might have a PhD and still be thick when it comes to these things. It's not about these great things. It's about this. How do you handle your alcohol? How do you handle sex? How do you handle leisure and food? How do you handle the things the world puts in front of you? Because how do you handle those will show whether you've received the milk and are being fed on the milk. In other words, this is very practical. To understand great truths, God wants you to understand the great truth of grace and have it totally impact your life. If Jesus is real, then you can't just add him to your life. He takes over your life. So Paul starts Romans by saying, I am a slave of Christ. Why? Because the encounter with Jesus and the encounter with the grace of God has been so magnificent that everything else is secondary. He now lives for Jesus. And in living for Jesus, suddenly the truths become understandable. Because that truth has shaped the way he lives. The gospel is not a message just to give you a ticket to heaven. I've got the gospel, I'm on to heaven. The gospel is this. This is so wonderful that it utterly transforms my life. This is so wonderful, I want to live for Christ now. I want to live for Christ now in the way I speak, the way I treat people. I want to live in Christ now, that the fruit of the Spirit, which is supernatural, is evident in me. I want to be alive now, and how do I do that? I drink the milk, and when I drink the milk, I'll start to comprehend some of the great truths of the whole of creation. I remember many years ago, there was a, a thing called the four points, and we were talking about this, were we, the four points, and the four points was a heart, and then a cross like this, a cross like that, and then a question mark. And this is basically the four points, this is how the four points works. it's this, Firstly, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. For God so loved the world, he said to his only son, you are loved by God. The second thing is, you're a sinner. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You you can't please this wonderful God. He loves you, but he can't look at you (laughs) because you've fallen short. But, then we've got the other cross. Because God so loved you, he's made a way for you to have a relationship with him again. That, in essence, was the gospel, but the big bit is the question mark. So what about you? What does that mean to you? Will you let the truth of Jesus transform your mind so that you can eat the meat? Will you let the amazing truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done so get into you? that you're able to eat meat. And what the author's say to these people is, guys, you're not doing that. How can I be teaching you this stuff on Melchizedek if you aren't yet excited by the fact that Jesus died for you? How can you be teaching these great truths if you're not so excited as, I've done nothing to please God, but I can be pleasing to God. You know, I remember Terry Murnish, the teacher on the grace of God, and he used to do this session, and it is, it's the outrageousness of the session. Which is this, there's nothing you can do to please God at all. Reading your Bible, prayer, doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. The only way you can please God is by receiving it. By receiving that you're loved. And it's a free gift. And I remember him saying, and this now is your most dangerous coffee break you're ever going to take. Because if you don't realise that that truth sets you free, That truth, if you hear it, transforms you, transforms the way you think, transforms the way you live, transforms the way you talk of others, transforms the way you act. It's interesting that we're known by Christians by our love. How do you love the unlovable? Fall in love with Jesus. And he teaches you. Jesus teaches us all things. So how do we say, I want to mature? I want to drink this milk. I want it to refresh me. Well, I think Paul sums it up in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, where he says, I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What the message is this, you want milk? You want to grow milk? Present yourself before God as an act of worship. Knowing that because of this truth, because of this great truth, I can stand here now, holy and blameless before God. I am right with my God. Hear that. Let that get into your heart. Let that get into your very being. I am right with God. That's the most awesome, amazing message you can ever hear. It's not a message to go, that's nice. No, you're right. And as a result of that, you can present yourself before God and you have this amazing thing. You're not conformed, which is external pressure. Every day we are being conformed into how other people want you to be. They're conforming you, being pushed into a side, pushed into a way to be. Transforming is this, it's internal. The Spirit of God comes and ministers to your mind and teaches you that which is good. That is right, that which is moral, that which is acceptable, that which is perfect. And there is where you eat your meat. When you get hold of this great truth, you can then get hold of greater truths. Get hold that you are loved and accepted. Get hold of the fact that God so loved you that he sent his only begotten Son. Get hold of that truth, that grace message, that wonderful message that totally transforms you to then be able to understand. Jesus is greater than all things. Jesus is greater than the high priest. Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than than the angels. Jesus is greater than all things. Because I know, because I've been set free. And so, when you hear this message, let's not hear it like an S is safety thing. Well, it's not. Okay, look up. I say, this is life changing. This is the message that is going to radically change nations. This is the message that radically changed people in the past and then they went out. This was the message on the day of Pentecost was in the hearts of the believers who saw Jesus ascend to heaven and then full of joy went back to worship him. And then the spirit of God came on them and then they could get hold of the meat that God's got for you. God has got great things for you. See you again. God's got great things for you. Get hold of this truth, so that you can receive everything. Don't be dim, using the words of John right at the start, be shiny. (laughs) How do you become shiny for Jesus? You allow this truth to get into you. You allow yourself to become more Christ-like in the way you speak, the way you are, in everything. And that's what you're always saying. I want to encourage you. Don't be hard of hearing. Don't be dim-witted. Listen. Let it shape your heart. Let it shape you. Let it do everything. If you're able, let's stand. Father, can everyone just shut shut your eyes? Just just lift your hands right now for God. Father, I want to pray that today we will be able to hear what you're saying, that we will have ears to hear, Lord, that it will impact our hearts, it will impact the way we live, it will impact the way we speak, because this is the greatest message the world has ever heard. And Lord, I pray from this place we'll be able to get hold of some of the great truths, the great meat, So, Lord, all of us can become teachers and teach those around us about this wonderful God. So, Lord, let us hear and let us move on in your name. Amen.